training camp kicks off tomorrow. Kyler Murray gets a boatload of money. Daniel Bellinger is on the pup list and what we can try to disseminate from the offensive depth chart and some Madden numbers coming up next. Yes, sir. It is OGP, the one giant podcast where, of course, we are your host over here, Adam Arbrecht, covering the Brooklyn Nets all offseason on Locked On Nets podcast with my boy Doug Norrie and yonder there, the healthy, wealthy, and wise season generational ticket holder, Mr. Andrew Makowitz. How are we, sir? Adam, I decided yesterday I was going to get up early, 630 in the morning before my my two-year-old got up, and I was I said, let's go for a run. And what I think yeah. as people age, they don't realize is like, the next day after the run is really when you're paying for it. It's not the day of like, I'm like, Oh, let's make a smoothie. I'm feeling great. Having some coffee the next day. I can barely get out of bed. My legs are like jelly right now. As they always say though, um, you know, while obviously any level of physical activity is better than none, uh, running is terrible for the body, man. Terrible for the joints, terrible for the knees. So, uh, you know, don't, don't be a hero, man. Uh, you, you need is a nice rowing machine. That's going to work everything for you. It's going to be nice and steady, quiet. You get one right next to your son's room. Just whisper mode. So so don't whisper exercise. Mode. Just sit on the couch. Next time I'm thinking about running, just sit on the couch and grab a cocktail. Is that what you're saying? As your doctor and physician, something Perfect. I have long said you should not have me be, I recommend staying on the sofa. But one thing that will not be staying on the sofa, a whole group of them actually, is the New York football giants. As we know, training camp is going to kick off tomorrow. Throughout the week, we're going to get a sense of just kind of when the news feed is coming through from training camp and update what we're seeing. Positional competitions, hopefully seeing a lot of these young players really start to be climbing up depth charts and making statements about how good they can be and then ultimately how good the giants can be. One guy um, that maybe has been proving how good he can be out there, if we just go big picture of the NFL, is Kyler Murray. Andy, this young man got a boatload of money going into the weekend. I want to, I have, a, I think that as all things do tie back to the New York football giants, but what was your first reaction to the amount of money that Kyler received from the Arizona Cardinals? So I had two thoughts when I saw Kyler Murray's deal come down. Kyler Murray signed a five year, 230 Point five, because let's make sure we give him all his credit. Uh, million dollar contract. Actually, it took to- several hours before they officially signed. So I'm going to need that point five, guys. Just- yeah, he's like, I just need that. But the point five is actually funny because it's a hundred thousand dollars annually more than what Deshaun Watson got. So either the agent was being super petty or Kyler Murray was being super petty. Makes him the second highest paid uh, annual contract value in the league in terms of quarterbacks behind Aaron Rodgers. Um, my my, I had two thoughts. One was, man, he only got like 150 or 160 million of that guaranteed, whereas Deshaun Watson got the full thing guaranteed, which just shows how insane the Cleveland Browns contract was for Deshaun Watson. That's the first thing that popped in my mind. And the second thing is, if you're if you're an NFL player, it it always works out to hold out for more money. Like, there's no reason why you shouldn't ask for more money as soon as humanly possible because everyone's like, Kyler Murray's being crazy. This is ridiculous. He's in year three. No one's ever done it this early. And guess what? Now he's the second highest paid, and he's got $160 million guaranteed at him. Uh, um, there was some interesting conversations happening around this where they were talking about um, 
how like does the NFL need to go to a model where the quarterback is considered to be a different category inside of the cap with where these contracts are going? Everyone agrees that they're the most valuable player for a franchise, but now all of a sudden when you tie that money up into them, it does kind of create some weird dynamics and also the way the market goes for around QBs. It's like, say, Deshaun Watson as the football player. He earns that massive contract, and then immediately the next guy up is like, well, I got to get more than him. And it doesn't necessarily correlate to the talent level, the skill set, et cetera. To your point, too, other people were mentioning um, once once the guaranteed, fully guaranteed came for, for Watson, every agent should have been demanding that for their quarterback. So was the guaranteed money enough for Kyler Murray or not? I know that there's there's some things around whether or not Kyler Murray is set to be a leader, if he's the right thing in the locker room, et cetera. Um, you, as a, on its surface, do you think that Kyler Murray not uh, deserved is a really hard way to put it, but would you have signed Kyler Murray to that type of contract? I would. And it's not to say that I think Kyler Murray is a top five quarterback in the league, because I think clearly he's not. I think the easy, less argumentative thing is to say Kyler Murray is a top 12 quarterback, but really quarterback play Adam is more binary than it is anything else. It's whether you're seventh or eighth doesn't really matter. It's do you have a franchise quarterback? Yes or no. And to me, Kyler Murray is a franchise quarterback. He's shown the ability to win games. He had one bad postseason, but like he's also really young. He's super talented. And this is the going rate for a franchise level quarterback. So either you're going to pay him a bunch of money or you're not. And it, it like, that's the simple answer behind all of this is like, you either give the big money and you want the guy around for five years or you don't want him at all. Well, Andrew, it's interesting because we make the note that going back, obviously, 2019, uh, as far as a rating goes, 87, 94, 100 for Kyler Murray. He's gradually progressed. The, the knock on him has been in the back half of the season, right in the latter stage of the year when you need your quarterback to be elevating his play. He sometimes has had some struggles. And then because obviously he's a little bit smaller in stature when he has a little bit of an injury history. You know, if he's if he's hurt, all of a sudden the mobility gets damaged. And once the mobility gets damaged, everything falls down around that. But to your point, I don't have any issue with it. But remember that there is a quarterback on the New York football Giants roster that some and we're obviously hopeful that he could be the quarterback for the New York football Giants. But you just said it. This is the going rate for a franchise quarterback on the market. So I'll be very curious to see what type of season does Daniel Jones have coming up? And what does that translate into in terms of a contract? Because when we talked about this over the course of the offseason, you said, hey, listen, you know, he has a pretty good year. You bring him back for 25, you know, 25 to 30 million a year. Great. We got our franchise guy. Why would Daniel Jones, you know, if he has a respectable year, a year that looks like, hey, guys, I gave you this sample inside of your system. I can be the franchise quarterback. Why is Daniel Jones coming to the table and saying, like, you know what I was thinking? Five years, 25 million per feeling pretty good about that. Guys, let's move forward with like, it's going to be fascinating to see what that looks like in this offseason. There's going to be other contracts that are going to happen for around the QB landscape as well. But is Daniel Jones a 40 plus million dollar quarterback? Because that's what the market says. Well, that that's a great question. And, and that's the thing that you have to think about. Obviously, Daniel Jones's play so far to this point would not warrant a contract. dollar quarterback. Yeah, oh, I mean, exactly. Like the play has not given us the the forty million plus. I mean, it's it's why the Browns ultimately moved off of Baker Mayfield, right? They said either we have our franchise guy or we don't. We don't think Baker is that guy. We're not going to pay him forty something million dollars. We'd rather go give it to Deshaun Watson and guarantee him his whole contract. That was their decision. But it is interesting for the Giants to try to figure this out because 
you know, if he plays marginally better, if Daniel Jones just plays a little bit better, the Giants are probably out on him and they're searching for their quarterback. The Giants yeah. need to see a, a real ascent from Daniel Jones in order to give him this money. But that's the whole point is like either he's replacement level and you go try to find the next guy or you find a, a journeyman or a guy that gives you 80 or 90 cents of, of what Daniel Jones provides you. Or he he has an amazing season. He looks like he's starting to grow the way Josh Allen did in Buffalo. And you're happy to pay them the money because you either have a franchise guy or you don't. The Giants are about to find out this year. There's no more excuses for Daniel Jones. Yeah, and again, just on Kyler Murray, man, uh, ascending in terms of average yards per completion, the touchdown ratios 24 to 10 this past year after 26 and 12 and 20 and 12, to say nothing of the rushing attempts where in uh, 2020 is really the sweet spot, that 800-plus yards, right, on 6.2 and 11 rushing touchdowns. There's a right you want to reach that threshold. If you're looking at Daniel Jones, these guys are not the same type of player, but they are dual threat quarterbacks and ones that would need to check certain boxes to earn that number. The last thing I'll say for any Giant fan that's just wondering, Kyler Murray is younger than Daniel Jones. So put that in perspective too when you think about like why you're giving money. He's 24 years old. And, and these are the types of contracts that I think a, will age okay. Some people are saying they're going to completely yeah. regret it. He's 24 years old. You're paying for future performance, not not what he's done for the organization so far. And that those to me are always the smarter contracts at the end. Yeah. And as we move into training camp, obviously for New York football giants, one final note, some people also around the league were saying, if you're the Arizona Cardinals, this should have been a uh, Patrick Mahomes type contract where we get you until you're 38 years old, because we want the best years of your career to be at an even more friendly number to the cap. Instead, you set it up where Kyler Murray can go back and earn another massive contract on a five-year deal uh, when this one is up. So it'll be interesting to see, or is Arizona saying, we like the five years and maybe we don't know if we're going to be fully committed five years from now uh, on the Giants side of things. Obviously that's just, listen, that's a big storyline. It's a big narrative. So we feel like we wanted to cover it. Obviously the day before training camp officially kicks off um, for the Giants though, Daniel Bellinger will start on the pup list. Why? Because that's how things happen for the Giants. No, no nice toys can go without a few dings or dents in them. Uh, it doesn't necessarily look like it's going to be that big of an issue going forward, but at least for the start of camp, we're going to have, you know, a penciled in question mark around where's Bellinger going to be health wise as we work our way into August and towards the regular season. Yeah. So, so Daniel Bellinger, uh, you know, the teams, once training camp starts, Adam put their players on what's called the pup list, you know, professionally unable to perform list uh, before it used to be a really, really bad sign where players were going to miss multiple games and there was going to be challenges with them starting week one. They've changed the rules on how you can put the designations on players. So uh, immediately the giants, I don't think have released their official um, pup list, but Art Stapleton and others uh, came out late last week and said that Daniel Bellinger will, will be placed on the list which made everyone just have like a big headache. Like, oh, like you said, this is why we can't have nice things. You know, we, we said that on Twitter. But, I, I, you know, we were we were in communication with Art Stapleton from NorthJersey.com and, and just saying, like, when did this happen to Daniel Bellinger? Like, I, I didn't hear anything during any of the rookie stuff, during any of the mini camps. We, we heard nothing about Bellinger getting hurt. And he said, right. it sounds like it was just like maybe with the workout with some of the rookies or Daniel Jones and some of the other guys. Everyone's saying it doesn't seem to be that serious. The good news for Giant fans is that because of these changes and how you can designate people, he it could be procedural. Maybe they need to bring another guy onto onto the the roster officially. Maybe they need to move some money around. But there's a good chance that da that Daniel Bellinger could come off of it 
in a week's time and a handful of days and we still get him out there for preseason. Yeah, I'm not overly concerned about it, but I guess the one way you do the one thing you <laughs> I feel compelled to say is like you're not worried about it until you're worried about it. Like it's not right. a big deal until well, Daniel Bellinger hasn't been out there for the first week or the second week, or now we're in the middle of August, right? And listen, it doesn't mean that it looks like it's anything that's going to be serious long-term, but uh, I, mostly because we've been so high on him and you've been really high on him since ever since the Giants drafted him. Um, you want to see a player like this out there. And even more importantly, you want to see the rapport with Daniel Jones out there in training camp as well, right? Like some of these young players, it also matters how it relates to other positions and other personnel for the New York football giants. Bellinger is a big part of that, especially when you're talking about slightly reshaping this roster just a little bit. That being the case though, we'll see how it plays itself out. The other piece then that we wanted to get into, uh, we're going to do a little bit today and a little bit tomorrow. The camp officially just by the way, opens up on does open up on Tuesday. And then there's open practices Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, There's going to be a back together Saturday, which is also an open practice. And then all through next week, August 1st through the third open practice as well. And then August 5th is Fan Fest at the stadium as well. So that's a little bit of what's going on around there, just in case you're, it is open. You can go online and apply for um, free passes to go check out the open practice if you want. Take a look at the temperature. Make sure it's not going to be like 110 degrees because you, I think, are sitting in steel open sun bleachers. Something to consider. It's uh, a little if hot. You're making those. Yeah, could get a little spicy. But for the Giants, um, uh, two other things that happened here. We touched on it a little bit last week, um, you know, tongue in cheek or having some fun with the Madden ratings. But then also Paul Schwartz from the New York Post put out his projected depth chart for the New York football Giants coming into camp. So we stay on the offensive side of the ball here for a couple of reasons. Um, you mentioned Daniel Bellinger. He starts on the pup list. He also starts behind Ricky Seals Jones on the depth chart. Just quickly, do you think that the, the pup list is that what you think? Again, are we our hopes and dreams at least regular season? Not dashed yet, but were we too bullish for training camp potentially for Daniel Bellinger to be number one on the depth chart? I think I, I think this makes complete sense. You obviously have a veteran in the first spot. Daniel Bellinger still has not even had a preseason game to show all the things that he's been doing in camp. It would be way too premature to put Bellinger in the number one spot. He still certainly has to earn it. But yes, being on the pup list and not being able to participate day one probably didn't help his chances at all of of, of you know staking his claim as the number one tight end. I do like, uh, however, on the depth chart, and we're don't worry, we're going to get to the Madden ratings here. Everyone, calm down, calm down. Um, I do like seeing Wandell Robinson, uh, Paul Schwartz, projecting him to be the starter in the slot over Sterling Shepard, which, by the way, feeds into a little bit what you had brought up around what they were seeing from some of the OTAs and the minicamp workouts when Kadarius Tony got on the field, him playing on the outside. So when you look over the projected depth chart, it's now Kenny Galladay with Darius Slayton behind him, which I think. Like it makes sense and lines up from a personnel and skill set standpoint. Kadarius Tony was CJ Board, and then Wandell Robinson was Sterling Shepard. Are, are, are you are you buoyed by seeing Wandell Robinson automatically set in there, or is this a byproduct of Sterling Shepard maybe starting the year on the injured reserve or some form or fashion of not being able to be ready? Yeah, if it feels like Sterling Shepard probably not going to be. I mean, if I had to guess right now, I don't know if he's going to be out there for Week One. He's a guy that I would actually look at the pup list if he gets put on it when the Giants officially release it as someone that you're like, ah, you know, let's see if they activate him or not. Because if you are put on the pup list and you miss week one, I believe it's a four game designation a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Which means he can't come back until week five. He's probably one of those candidates that I could see along with Nick Gates and, and, and others 
um, who, who were injured. But yeah, I think Wondell Robinson, clearly the Giants drafted him, new regime drafted him. Injury to Sterling Shepard makes sense to have him in, in the slot there. Interestingly enough, I will be fascinated. Something to keep an eye on over camp. I think that as much as I, as much as or more than any other person, fan or otherwise, loves Sterling Shepard and wants him to be a part of this team. If he starts this season and has to miss the first four weeks, I think there's a real world where he where the job is lost and there's simply no getting it back. Right? Like this is Wandell Robinson was drafted by this regime, so obviously there's going to be a a a expectation of him being a big contributor like I think that Wandale if he gets those first four weeks of the season and all of training camp to show what he can do to get a rapport with Daniel Jones and then execute it on the field I think there's a world where Sterling Shepard could still be utilized 100 percent in this season but that Wandale Robinson will go forward being the primary we then get to though um, and we can talk, you can throw in the Madden reins about some of these guys as we move along, but this is where we will mention the, mention the Madden reins. And that's the offensive line, Andrew Thomas, Shane Lemieux, John Feliciano, Mark Lewinsky, and Evan Neal. Nothing about the projected uh, depth chart is going to look like coming into camp. And ultimately what we probably would both sign up and say, Hey, I'm fine with that to be going to the regular season. I might, you might look at a Zudu and say, come on, show me a little something. Uh, Jamil Douglas is listed as the other backup guard behind Glowinski as well. And maybe shockingly, Matt Pert is your backup uh, right tackle behind Evan Neal. Hit, you can hit the Madden component of this because at the offensive line is apparently where people have got, got, got a little up in arms around the way this was laid out. Well, a couple, couple of extra notes. Uh, the Giants waived uh, Corey Cunningham, yes, who we yeah. thought could potentially be a swing tackle, make the, make the roster, if not a practice squad depth guy. He was outright waived. Um, we were, again, messaging with Art Stapleton to get a little bit of context behind things, trying to figure out, okay, if he's not the swing tackle, who's it going to be? Um, you know, we, we had suggested they had uh, Joshua Zudu play left tackle, um, in some of the mini camp, could that be a possibility? He said, maybe he thinks that it, it could be a like possibility a better on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. But he thinks he, he probably just projects better to just focus full-time on guard, which I think we all agree with. Um, but definitely interesting to see what happens with the backup tackle position for the giants. Um, but yeah, w- when we go to the Madden ratings, it, it all came out and people were frustrated and upset. And the first thing I said is don't get upset at Madden ratings. They mean nothing. The second thing is, that, that we were saying is duly noted. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You're like, perfect. Don't get mad about Madden race. Second thing is like, we've been a bad team for five years. We're the only team in the entire league that has yet to have a winning record at any point over the last five seasons. We have been ostensibly bad. Right. So that's number two. And then number three is how does Andrew Thomas get a 76 Madden rating? get angry again because it's ludicrous that he's a 76 and our newly minted right tackle Evan Neal is a 77. And I, I brought this up being shocked and I was surprised when, when we talked about it, you weren't really that shocked with, with how the ratings came out. Right? Well, I just, I, listen, I, I get, I, I get based on where fans feel about Andrew Thomas this past season, right? Bounced back, had a really good year, showed you what we thought the giants drafted him for the year. prior. Okay, great. But, as we talked about this offseason, I asked the question, you know, extemporaneously around, okay, rookie season, a lot of disjointed, don't know what the offense is doing, the coaching staff, all this stuff. He has some injuries, doesn't look great. Comes back his, his second year, looks really strong, starts to really come on. Also had a couple of little injury concerns in there as well. But on just on paper, Evan Neal, you go back to college, is the better prospect. Go back to that draft class with Andrew Thomas. 
Evan Neal is probably the best prospect coming out of that draft class. So I don't necessarily look at it like on a pure prospect standpoint. I understand why Evan Neal would be the better looking prospect. If you went back and said the Giants had these two players in the same draft class, their choice, who do they want to take? They're taking Evan Neal 100 times out of 100 over Andrew Thomas. So I understand that he has two years underneath his belt. Again, these are Madden ratings, so I'm not remotely concerned with it. But I do think that there is a reality to how good Evan Neal is projected to be coming out versus where Andrew Thomas started, what he's accomplished to this point, and what he, we hope he can do going forward. But yeah, I, I, I took no issue with it, understanding that it's Madden. So, so I had an, a little bit of an issue with it because it makes no sense to me that a proven solid left tackle in the NFL who's still young and has the ability to, to continue to grow is ranked less. Usually Madden is very reserved with their rankings for, uh, you know, yeah, young players, yeah, any type of young player that comes out, they want to see it and they prove it. I mean, Shouldn't, you be even, shouldn't, shouldn't Giants fans be even more excited then that Evan Neal is being given such a high grade right out the gate? Isn't yeah, but that it's a, a seventy thing? It's a 77 and a 76. It's not an 87 and an 86, which would Giant fans would have been happy about. It's like the mid-70s. But but here. The, Guess the what? Andrew that, Thomas isn't a top five tackle at this point of his career either. So Okay, so so that is perfect, Adam. You're, you're transitioning into Thank the you. real question here. The question is, where do you rank Andrew Thomas in the left tackle position. So let's say there's 32 teams in the NFL. Where would you say Andrew Thomas is ranked as a left tackle? I'll say that I think this season, right? Let's put, let's, let's put this season into the mix here. I think that by the end of the year, he'll have the ability to be considered inside of the top 12 top, you know near that edge of the top 10, potentially based on his play this year. I think that that you can set that, that, prospect out ahead of you could be a top 12 top 10 left tackle okay that's that's kind of you and i are in the same mindset i don't put him top five i mean that's kind of crazy i i I think he uh, you want to be able to say he could be a top 10 left tackle in this league like you want to say it but i I, i'm i'm with you where you go top 12 just give yourself a little extra buffer I, i i like the way you did that but adam here's the thing pro football focus ranks andrew thomas as the 20th best left tackle and then uh, I know you might say, okay, that's pro football focus. Throw it out with a grain of salt. Madden ranks Andrew Thomas as the 21st best left tackle. And so what I'm saying is like, do we have a problem as giant fans or are we like too biased to see that he is one of the bottom third left tackles in this league? Or are we seeing something that the national media isn't seeing on Andrew Thomas? Well, and, and that's kind of my point, though, is, OK, do I think that by the end of this year, we're talking about Andrew Thomas sniffing around top 10, top 12 left tackle play? Yes, I do. But where is he starting? Like, again, like I love we we loved when they drafted Andrew Thomas, when everyone else was talking about Tristan Wirfs and other guys who said, no, like we really love this guy. And we had to wait the entire rookie season and into the sophomore campaign to say, see, we told you this kid can do it. And also, like, where is Andrew Thomas? on the spectrum for me coming into this you know what 15 16 17 8 you know like i i I take no i I take no disgust with that is 20th feel a little bit low okay is pro football focused and all be all of course it's not but i think we like everyone has to agree 
that he came on last year and you started to see on a down-to-down basis, he really showed consistency. And that was a big part of what he lacked because you could still see some of these turnstile moments. I, I, I think that that's where the hedge is here from the NFL, from Madden, from anybody, is that, okay, yes, you flashed it. And in theory, from a Giants fan's perspective, we look at it and go, and the offensive line has gotten better around him. So his job's going to get easier, which means he's going to be better. And I believe that. But from the outside looking in, I look. you could also look at it and say, and now defenses will make adjustments. What does that look like? Now, if Evan Neal is going to be the one, maybe we're going to stay away from Evan Neal on the right side. And maybe we're going to throw some double teams and bring some extra blitz packages onto Andrew Thomas's side of the line and really push and test him. Because as we know, going back to last year, Thomas would not be tested nearly as heavily knowing that the rest of the line was total crap, right? So I think that that plays a big factor here. Yes, Thomas improved, but there were plenty of weaknesses across that line to go and attack from a defensive perspective where you could basically say, if you win the one-on-one matchup, good for you. And if you don't, we have plenty of other Swiss cheese holes to go after and get to Daniel Jones. That's something that I think, yes, we are from the inside out as Giants fans, as people covering the Giants, maybe overlooking. And it doesn't mean that I don't think that Andrew Thomas can't prove. It doesn't matter. I'm ready to take that on. But I still, yes, this is a prove-it year for him in a lot of ways. This is cement what you are, not rest on what you accomplished over X amount of games last year. Yeah, the the whole perception, the way that I look at this is very simple. There's kind of break up the league into thirds. We hope at the end of the day that Andrew Thomas is going to be in the top third in left tackles. If that's what he ends up being, the Giants are happy. Set it and forget it for 10 years. That's all you can ask for. We could squabble over whether he's the seventh or the ninth. Like who, who cares if that's, if that's where it ends up with Andrew Thomas, that's great. A lot of the national media has him as a bottom third type of, uh, of tackle. So what that tells me is it's probably somewhere in the middle, right? Like he's probably like 15th or 16th, but the giants have just been so bad across the offensive line that how would anyone else actually know that he's capable of being a top 10 talent? Exactly. And by the way, listen, inside of those rates for whatever it's worth, when you see Glowinski at a 76 as well, like go ahead and wrap your head around that. Think about if you were excited getting Glowinski, his track record, he had been a starter, he lost his starting role, but he has a lengthy track record of pretty darn solid NFL play, right? So if you think about a guy entering his third year and a guy who's been around the league for a while, kind of being in a similar space, you could take that perspective. I also take the perspective of, I'll take Lewinsky being that level of player, right? Because if we think 76 is indicative of there's a floor there and you can grow and be better from that, great. I want Lewinsky to provide that type of security when he's playing on the offensive line with Thomas and with Evan Neal. That being the case, though, friends, we're going to come back in tomorrow as training camp kicks off. We're going to talk about the defensive side of the ball, the depth chart, and anything that we noticed there. I did notice something from Paul Schwartz that got me very excited and another one that got me incredibly depressed. That's the way it works. You get us over on YouTube. You get the podcast feed. You ever get those needs fulfilled. Until next time, as Andy Makowitz wants, needs, and nay, demands the people know. As always, let's go Big Blue.